0: Welcome to the Arctic in Cities Bookshelf podcast, where we explore the diversity of Arctic knowledge.
1: In this podcast, we amplify the voices of scholars and experts from around the world to make the Arctic easy and accessible to everyone.
2: So tune in and join our in depth conversations that take you beyond the headlines and right into the latest ideas, challenges, and experiences from the Arctic.
1: Dr. Ingrid Medby is a senior lecturer in political geography at Oxford Brookes University in the UK. She holds a PhD in political geography from Durham University, and her research interests lie in the areas of geopolitics, identity, nationalism, and statecraft, focusing on the Arctic region. Prior to her PhD, Ingrid worked for the North Norway European Office in Brussels. Ingrid writes regularly on Arctic issues for High North News and engages with
0: related policy. Hello and welcome. My name is Romain Chuffard and I'm your host today.
2: And I'm Leboche Timonjana, your co-host.
0: Today we're chatting with Dr Ingrid Melbu, who over the years, I think it's fair to say, has earned the title of one of the Arctic Institute's best friends. Ingrid is joining us today to talk about Arctic identities, people-to-people relations and the everyday of Arctic geopolitics. Hi, Ingrid. Thank you so much for accepting our invitation and welcome to the Arctic Institute's Bookshelf podcast.
1: Hi, and thank you so much for
2: inviting me. For people who have never heard of you uh, or your work, could you please tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and especially how you became interested in Arctic?
1: Yeah, so I guess to start at the beginning like like you were saying my my name is uh, ingrid medby and i'm currently a senior lecturer in political geography at oxford brooks university and um and in my research i've looked uh, in particular at arctic identity and geopolitics and um this is what i, I wrote my phd on a, a few years ago but um i guess my my interest in the arctic goes goes way back um i I am I'm originally from Northern Norway, so above the Arctic circle. Um, but to be entirely honest, I'd never really thought of North Norway as as Arctic growing up. That was not really something that I was uh, conscious, uh, conscious of. So uh, it took me moving abroad to really realize that the area that I was from was often referred to as the Arctic by by other people. So when I finished high school in, in Tromsø, I I moved uh, south i first went to cuba for for half a year to learn spanish and then i moved to australia and i think that's really where i started thinking about what does it mean to come from the arctic region and then after after studying both for my bachelor degree and later my, my master's degree i Got a traineeship with the North Norway European Office in Brussels, and really got to engage with uh, Arctic policy making and decision making, and how the Arctic was viewed from from the European Union's um, standpoint. And I get again that really made me conscious of what does it mean to to be from and and what does it mean to represent the Arctic region, and that spurred an interest and in kind of asking questions about how policymakers come to relate to and um, engage with this this region. So. I guess working, working there for, I think it was something like nine months really, really made me realize that I enjoy research. I wanted to learn more and doing a PhD seemed like the perfect way to, to do that. And I was very lucky that I, that I, um, met a professor who, who, uh, basically gave me the opportunity to get back into these topics that I was really interested in exploring further and becoming an expert on. And, um, I. I I guess I came to the topic of Arctic identities in more of a more of a kind of cynical way that I thought, you know, we hear a lot of talk about Arctic identities and politicians talk about it, but is it, is it actually real? Is it something that people do relate to, or is it simply a kind of instrumental thing? But then as I started doing work on this and speaking with policymakers and speaking with civil servants, I kind of came to understand that we all relate to the Arctic region in different ways. And. Um, maybe an identity an Arctic identity isn't necessarily the term that most people would use. I still think there's something really important uh, in how do we understand the region how do we um, feel that we connect with it I think that does shape our you know the policies that are made the decisions that are made but also also kind of everyday behaviors so um, that kind of appreciation of um, of uh, imagination of of identity of um, of those everyday encounters, I've come to appreciate more and more.
0: Talking about Arctic identities, you're currently writing a book about it, which will be published with Manchester University Press. And you generously sent us a, a draft of, of the intro chapter for us to read. It was really interesting to engage with your research and, and also with unpublished research, which I think is also... Uh, always exciting i think i'd just like to to explore this a little bit of the concept of arctic identities and and perhaps start with a a general question people might ask themselves when we talk of arctic geopolitics or when we talk about the arctic we hear the terms arctic states non-arctic states uh and we all have an idea of what the arctic is roughly i mean it's located, it's somewhere in the north or perhaps above the Arctic Circle. But in, in your view, is there a definition of, of Arcticness?
1: The short answer is no, I don't think there is. Um, I think when we're talking about Arctic identities, or, or even more broadly, northern identities, it means a whole host of different things to different people and people relate to and engage with it through kind of different uh, channels or, or different through different understandings of it. And I think that is very valid. Actually, I don't think we should be moving towards defining what is a valid Arctic identity or, or Arctic nest to use that term, or not, because people will have different understandings of it. And that's precisely the, the value of it. But coming back to your, your kind of um, initial point that that, yes, there are a lot of different definitions of the Arctic, Uh, we might think of the Arctic Circle as the political definition of it. But I don't think you can draw a line in that way when it comes to, to thinking about people's identities, you know, you can't say that if you're, if you're from north of the Arctic Circle, then you're an Arctic person. And if you're, if you're born just south of it, then you're not, that's, that's not really how it works. And I think again, that's kind of the, the what I find so interesting about thinking about identities. So in my, my doctoral research, I focus on how decision makers and how civil servants relate to the Arctic. So a lot of the people I spoke to were actually based in or from far south of the of the Arctic. Um, So, for example, sat in Oslo or from Ottawa. And uh, and they might still feel that, yes, they were from an Arctic state and that meant something to them, even if they didn't necessarily have that personal connection to them. But it's that kind of the meaning that we that we um, put into those terms ourselves that I think are interesting. So, like, I also started saying at the start that, you know, we, uh, people growing up in the north, I think, are perhaps more used of of thinking about northerness than than necessarily Arcticness. And of course, the Arctic is a a term that comes from the south. It's not, it's not one that uh, has come from the Arctic region at all. It's it's a Greek term, right? And I think that does also matter. Um,
0: yeah, that's, that's really interesting because I, I don't think before the, the Arctic collaboration boom in the, in the 90s of the environmental protection strategy and the revenue process. I don't think people were actually speaking that much about Arctic an Arctic identity or being Arctic, We didn't think of, of Arctic states. Even Arctic states I don't think saw themselves as Arctic. And in your book, or in, in the chapter at least, you also engage a lot with Judith Butler's identity as performative theory. Could you tell us a bit more how Arctic states have created their own Arctic identity over the past now 30 years
1: yeah I, I think you're right i think that the the real idea of arctic states was very much tied to the arctic council and the ottawa declaration and so on and it's definitely a term that has has grown in use and i think uh this kind of theoretical framework of um, judith butler's performativity what it really highlights is that identities and and positionalities is something that we do, you know, it's something that comes about through actions and behaviors in the everyday, the repeated actions, uh, kind of societal norms, and so on. It's not just about um, kind of labeling something once and for all, but rather something we, you know, it's something continually changing as well. So, In terms of Arctic states and and state personnel, which is what I focused on in my work, how an an Arctic identity is performed continually. And I think it's important to say here as well that by performed, I don't mean in a sort of theatrical sense, it's not like an act that you do, or it's not something false necessarily, but rather, it points to the fact that it is uh, a practice or actions and, and this kind of the 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 verb of being uh, uh, an Arctic state. So in terms of these identities, and how they are performed, it has a a range of aspects to it. But it includes, for example, participating in the Arctic Council, the kinds of negotiations that that um, these state personnel will will take part in and the particular kind of position that they will take in these meetings. So um, the fact that, of course, Arctic states have voting rights in the Arctic Council, um, it includes also the kinds of uh, policies and initiatives investments in the north engagement with indigenous people engagement with local people um so all of these actions that they do so rather than just what people say that's really where the performative aspect is i think quite a useful theoretical lens to use
0: and do you think the the changing Arctic, so the changing Arctic environment, and also brings about a change of how states see their own Arctic identity. So is there is there a change, because the Arctic is changing, is there also a change onto the national narrative about the Arctic and the Arctic states?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think most obviously the, there is a lot more attention to the Arctic, and I think that is why we do hear this this term or this label use more and more frequently. And I think, again, coming back to my own background, I think that's why I suddenly became aware of it. And kind of, I guess, in the early 2000s, that's when really, we started hearing more about the Arctic. Um, before that, I think we were more used to, certainly in Norway, to hear about, um, for example, the Barents region, the North Calot, um of course, Northern Scandinavia, the Nordic States, these are all different regions, but in some ways they overlap. And in some contexts one one region might matter more than another and I think the Arctic really came to the the forefront in in the early 2000s and and certainly since then the Arctic states and and some more than others have really engaged very actively with what does it mean to be an Arctic state what does that um, confer both in terms of rights and and responsibilities I think those two terms are very often talked about together that Yes, the Arctic sta- states do have certain specific rights in the region, but they also have a certain responsibility to perhaps protect it. Uh, and again, these two things go hand in hand. Sometimes the the that kind of protect protective role is is also used as a as a kind of um, uh, as a kind of authority to also um, assert rights. So I think. Um, in my in my doctoral research and in my book i focus particularly on three of the eight arctic states so i look at norway iceland and canada and um to to take canada as one example they very often use the the term of being a steward so stewardship that kind of um in some ways summarizes part of the relationship with the north right that this is about also protection um and in in Norway and and I think in Iceland as well, there's a kind of interesting discourse around how being an Arctic state also means having a particular consciousness of the environment and of um, of Arctic nature and an appreciation of it, but also kind of feeling that connection and feeling that um, the state should be uh, kind of safeguarding what might be framed as non-Arctic states more uh, more kind of predatory practices. Which again, this is this is kind of um political positioning and that's not to say that non-arctic states necessarily are more cynical in kind of wanting to exploit resources or anything like that but that's certainly the way that is sometimes presented
0: thanks ingrid and and i, I guess it's like the billing of a national narrative uh about the Arctic but in your work you also focus on uh on people and local residents in the Arctic is there is there such a sense of uh of identity of arctic identity at the people to people level uh and how is this uh identity evolving so from from the national narrative that the state is trying to create to actually reflecting back onto onto the people
1: yeah i think there is this becomes a little bit anecdotal because i haven't done long-term research on on whether or not there is a changing identity but i did Do a little bit of research on whether or not young people identify with being Arctic or coming from an Arctic state in in Norway, specifically, Um, but this is this is some years ago now, but I, I get the sense that with increasing use of the term, more and more people are recognizing that when, when there is talk about the Arctic, they are actually talking about quite often, northern, you know, northern Scandinavia, the Nordic countries, Russia, Canada, The us and and really kind of almost adopting that that identity even if it is an external externally imposed term i think there is more recognition of it now um yeah
2: i find it very fascinating actually and you know if we now move on to the people in your research because this is like the focal point right yeah could you please elaborate a little bit more on the concept of peopling that you use in your work and why you chose it and why you think that this is something that could be interesting to work with for researchers at the moment?
1: Yeah, thanks for the question. And, and I, I enjoy talking about this because this is actually something that, that I was surprised by in my own research. So I, and I think that's always a, a good starting point when you're, when you're doing a project and you find yourself surprised. That's a good sign that here's something worth talking about and something worth exploring. So I think, as I mentioned, when I started my PhD, I was very interested in how identity was used in political rhetoric. So state practitioners would talk about an Arctic identity as something that would confer certain rights and responsibilities. And I, I wanted to kind of look at this in a sort of instrumental way. How is it used, but then doing interviews with state personnel and by state personnel, I mean, people kind of broadly employed at state level, but, but both political employees as well as civil servants. I was asking them about um, Arctic identity and how they understood it and so on. And I come to really appreciate that actually it's more about how, how they relate to the region themselves. And actually there is something really interesting in thinking about how practitioners of statecraft or of geopolitics actually do their jobs. How do they understand their own jobs? And I think we, as uh, political geographers, as political scientists, we very often analyze things that are slightly kind of, um, I don't know if it's right to say a, a higher level, but you know, we, we talk about states almost as actors. So no way does this or no way does that. But in reality, of course, it's it's a number of people who who um, sit around a table, who write speeches, who negotiate, who meet, who might know each other. So diplomats or, or politicians who meet in, in various, and they will have different kinds of personal relationships or have experiences of meeting before or not and and all of those things really do matter and i have uh, increasingly come to appreciate that these kinds of relations are significant um of course to, to varying degrees some people have more authority to be heard in their kind of personal approaches than others and and certainly you know we can talk about education here so how do you get to a position of, for example, politician, there will be some training involved in that. And and you have to, of course, adhere to governmental positions and all of those things. But I do still think that generally speaking, as analysts of geopolitics, we should be paying attention to the people enacting geopolitics or to use that term again, performing geopolitics. So who are the performers here? And how do their kind of varied um, identities or positions or experiences, backgrounds, uh, dreams, aspirations, all of those things? How does that? How, how do those things feed into the, the work? So that's, that was really kind of the, the argument that I ended up making in my PhD, uh, which was not what I set out to, to study at all. But the argument was that, yes, we do need to, uh, quote, unquote, people our analyses, we need to pay attention to the actors behind the actions.
2: So who are these people then? <laughs> you know, I, I always wonder how you actually make this work, because it's tricky to do interviews with state personnel. And I wonder, um, how you managed to create trust and to actually get the information that you need for your research? And did you have any uh, interesting stories <laughs> while doing that?
1: Yeah, and and you're completely right. And I think, you know, we could talk a lot about method because that is absolutely fascinating. And as I mentioned, I I studied Norway, Iceland and Canada. And of course, they are very different states and you have different access to both politicians and civil servants in the three. In Norway, I could use my own native language, which which helped in some ways. But it was also um, interesting sometimes the fact that that I have a northern accent. And as soon as I started asking questions about the Arctic to someone with a southern accent, they would almost defer to me and say, and I had someone actually say this a few times oh, but you would know this better than me. And I I was just sat there like, No, I want, I want to hear your opinion on this and about your sense of identity or or lack thereof. Um, And then of course, in Iceland, the interviews were conducted in usually the second language of both me and the interviewee. And then in Canada, it would be in English, so quite often the, the first language of the interviewee um, and my my second language. So that's one aspect of it. And then in terms of, of access, that, yes, that is, of course, a challenge. But again, Norway and Iceland are quite small countries. And, and I would say usually it's easier to get in touch with with also high-level politicians. And um, in Canada, I, I didn't feel like it was very difficult to get in, in touch with people necessarily. But I can imagine that... It would have been a much much bigger challenge if I'd chosen, for example, to try to do similar research with um, kind of state personnel in in the U.S. or in Russia, where there's also just more, I guess, competition for for attention. You know, the the Arctic as a foreign policy issue is very important for for the three states that I focus on, and, and I chose the three because they have all talked a lot about. Kind of in their official policy documents about having Arctic identities. What does it mean to be an Arctic state? So I thought they were very interesting to look at for that reason. But you would certainly get different different results if you were to look at other states, and and you would get different results if you were to speak to to different people as well. So the people that I spoke to, some of them were politicians, and some of them were kind of high level um, ministers. Others were policy advisors. I spoke to some researchers who had also come into kind of policy advising roles, um, and, uh, and some diplomats as well. So there was a a mix of uh, positions. And I and I actually thought that was part of what what was so um, fascinating to explore is how do we talk about this, maybe shared topic, but coming at it from from different angles, um, both professionally, as well as personally.
2: One of your ongoing projects is concerned with the Barnes. It's like a very special part of the Arctic, uh, geographically and politically. And I wonder whether you've seen any differences between these interviews that you uh, conducted with, so to say, Arctic officials and then Barnes officials. Is there a different sense of identity or connection to the issues that people are working with?
1: Uh, yes, I think there is a difference. Uh, I should say these two projects are, they've got a different focus. So I haven't really been trying to explore questions of identity per se in, in the Barlands region, even though that's always in the background that I often sneak in a question about identity, because I think it's interesting. That's not the focus of the the research project that I'm doing at the moment. So just to, to kind of give you the the, the short version of it. So after having finished this project on Arctic state identity with state personnel from these three countries, I then started this new project looking at the the so-called Biden's cooperation. And I focused on specifically the kind of Norwegian side of it. So um, of course, there are there's a number of countries involved, but it was initiated in in Norway, in the early '90s, and um, was all about kind of improving neighbourly relations after the Cold War with with Russia, and um, and it's largely seen as a very successful cooperation. And the the region is uh, or the term Barents is, is certainly well known in the north of the Nordic states. And I I thought you know if if this is considered a successful project of of building that kind of neighbourly relationship, then is there something that can be learned from that, that is also useful for, for other contexts and um, as you know, I'm now based in the UK and I, I was, I've been quite surprised sometimes by how negative the media sometimes portrays or not negative, but how, how one-sided reporting on, on Russia sometimes is, it's, it's very kind of one dimensional. And I was thinking, okay, well, you know, what is different in, in Norway? Why do I have such a different perception of this um, than, than some of the people that I've met here. So I wanted to see, you know, is there something we can learn from this long running project, because it is seen as a success, but it's also not very famous outside of the, I would say the Arctic context. Uh, if I were to say to someone here in the UK that I'm working on the Barents region, they would not necessarily know what that refers to. Um, so what what this project involves is um, speaking to people who've been in, involved with with the running of the Biden's corporation. So they are not politicians, and they but they work more with the kind of practical running of Biden's secretariats and the kind of funding mechanisms and um, you know the meetings that take place. Um, just to learn, you know, what what do you consider to be potentially transferable lessons beyond the Arctic uh, sorry beyond the Bardens region maybe to the Arctic more widely and also maybe even beyond the Arctic so it's been really fascinating and coming back to the topic of identity I I, I have asked sort of out of interest you know is there a Bardens identity and I, and I think the answer to that is a, a little bit it's a little bit complicated as, as any question of identity is but I don't think it's a term that necessarily has as much resonance with people as I think the Arctic does now I think the Baden's term is really important in the border regions. So in, in Norway, in Kirkenes, it's certainly very significant. And, and if you go there, you'll see a lot of uh, companies and businesses that, that use the Baden's regional term, whereas if you were to go to Tromsø or to Buda, which are also so-called Barents cities, you would much more often see um, Arctic used today. And again, that might've changed a bit. Um, There's been, been work done on this. I think the Bardens did attract a lot more attention in the early nineties when the corporation was first set up. But um, in terms of identity, I, I do think that the Arctic has maybe gained more, more currency than, than Bardens, at least recently.
2: I totally agree with you. Uh, I did an internship at the International Barnes Secretariat back in 2019 and you could really sense when you were talking to people working there, you could really sense that there is some kind of a very unlucky clash between the Barents and the Arctic and that the Arctic actually somehow interferes into Barnes projects and the ongoing cooperation networks in a quite a peculiar way not as positive as it would do um, in other arctic projects like um, international cooperation projects focused on the arctic so it seems like there are different levels of um, you know imagining this northern region
1: yeah, I, th- I think you're right. And I think I th- actually think that's a really good thing. So one thing that we hear very often in these various Arctic settings is that there's not just one Arctic, how many arctics so It's become a bit of a cliche now. But it is important, you know, the Arctic is, is huge. And there are internal differences and having regions within the region is is perhaps useful as well. It it allows us to speak about more more local context. So yeah.
0: You you talked a bit about the lessons that we can learn uh, from the Baron Corporation. Do you have instances or examples of, of such lessons to be applied to the broader Arctic context?
1: Yeah, I think the most important thing and this is I think what everyone I've spoken to said is the importance of people to people contact and this is of course the whole kind of rationale of the binance corporation is that uh, peace and understanding and good neighborly relations all of those things are facilitated by people everyday people meeting other everyday people so through for example schools exchanges and and you know music and hobbies and sports tournaments all of those things that that's one way of, uh, of fostering that So I knew that that was a big part of it. But what I think is really interesting about this is that very often they also talked about how the contact and connection between policymakers and decision makers is actually also really useful. That there are these uh, various fora where people meet and they discuss different things, but it allows them to build relations that are are helpful. And it, it helps us kind of understand people from other countries better just through those those uh, meeting places and again i think this is something that perhaps hasn't been appreciated enough in in uh, political science and in social sciences the importance of also interpersonal relations in in um, politics so in terms of transferable lessons i think that would maybe be the key thing is is facilitating meeting places facilitating discussions and dialogue around different topics, different issues, but really trying to see things from different sides and and not just immediately try to jump to a a decision, but rather allowing discussion or or conversation to take place.
2: This is a truly good point, but I wonder when you study people to people context, and if you want to grasp this image of uh, an Arctic identity that you talk about in your publications in the present moment, as you call it, how do you do that? I think you would agree with that, that it's a very dynamic space. It's a very dynamic process and people change, right? Their interests change, their views change. How do you grasp it?
1: <laughs> yeah, but I think this is the thing though. It doesn't stay still. It's not static and that's a good thing. Um, I don't think there is an answer once and for all. I think these are continual and, and ongoing things. I think, you know, if If we turn to the the point about Arctic identities, you know, you can have, you can have one identity matter more to you in in one moment, and then the next another matters more. So, you know, these are ongoing things and ongoing topics. And, and I wouldn't want to publish a book that just provides sort of an answer or or a sort of a solution with, with two lines beneath it, but rather say that, you know, these are really fascinating topics that we should be thinking about, we should be engaging with, we should be asking new questions, maybe we should be thinking about how things might be be otherwise. Um, how, how do we bring about change, you know, if, if there is something we would want to change, then maybe those are the opportunities rather than rather than trying to find a, a, a static or stable answer necessarily.
2: And if you would be asked to paint this image of an Arctic identity in the present moment right now, how uh, will it look like?
1: Oh, I think, uh, well, I'm not a painter. <laughs> but so uh, one way to answer that is that, so I'm a geographer, right? And we are very um, used to seeing maps of the Arctic. And and I love a good map. I think I think we can all appreciate the, the beauty of maps. Yeah, you're into uh, visuals, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I actually think when it comes to the Arctic, it's not just about those fixed lines. It's not just about latitudes. It's not just about borders, but rather thinking about those connections, you know, the, the Arctic influences people that live very far from the Arctic and vice versa. Again, I'm trying to avoid the, the best known cliches here. But the Arctic is about both circumpolar connections, as well as north south connections as well. So if we are to paint a, a picture of this, I think it would it would be something about that something about. Um, distances and relations that are not necessarily measured in kilometers and and meters but rather um, something about yeah interpersonal
0: connections yeah i think i think it's interesting the creation of of such an arctic identity because often at least from a suddenness perspective we often view the Arctic as, as a as a monolith as something with really key components and characteristics all those elements I mean, I mean that we think of when we think of of the Arctic but it's also interesting to have this like personal perspective on it and that the Arctic is so much more than just than just that and that there's also actual people living there and actually not not thinking of themselves as Arctic or having an Arctic identity and I think in your research you really highlight that as well which which I think it's it's interesting to you look
1: at. Yeah, and you, you raise a really important point there. And I think, you know, when we certainly being based here in the UK, when we talk about the Arctic, very often the image that comes to people's minds is one of, of ice, of um, uh, polar bears. Um, if you if you Google the Arctic and sort of images of the Arctic, it's, it's a lot of um, blue, a lot of kind of hues of blue. So uh, snow and mountains and blue skies. So, or Northern Lights. But actually, in a lot of my work, I've been I've been interested in trying to challenge that a little bit and say that actually, the Arctic is much more than that. It's much more complex, and, and people have very different experiences of it. And and it changes, it changes through the year, but also, people's um, particular experiences of it will will vary vastly. So if you are based in in Tromsø, for example, then, you know, you are technically above the Arctic Circle, but it's not kind of fields of, of ice. Uh, Certainly not every day, even if it can snow quite a lot of times. Um, and I think that's that is important. And, and I think um, I've come to appreciate that more and more now living south of the Arctic myself. Just just uh, again, this quite sometimes quite one dimensional images that that people and also just lack of, of knowledge about the diversity of the Arctic.
2: I find this quite interesting, you know, that I think nowadays we have some kind of a two images of the Arctic. The first image that comes to the mind when you talk to people, most of them, it's, as you said, it's ice and polar bears and other lights and darkness, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, pretty much. And the other picture, which is the change in Arctic and the climate change and um, global warming, right? And yeah. the fires also, this is a recent addition, I would say, to the visuality of the Arctic. It, to me, it's always interesting how the first image that has been constructed, um so long ago that it's still there it's still the first one to pop up even though there are so many things changing now and so many pictures that some somehow are replacing the Mm. mainstream picture
1: yeah and and i think it is our our role as as arctic researchers and people interested in the region to try and and show different sides of it but i would also say that the image that a lot of people have of the arctic it's not a, a negative one necessarily. I always think that they could be perhaps a bit more nuanced, but, you know, a lot of people are really fascinated by the region also because of those, you know, the polar bears and the northern light and, and certainly the Arctic has seen a huge increase in tourism and, and that's partly thanks to those kinds of images. So even though I wish that people might know more about a region that I really care about, um, I, I would also say that, you know, there is, there is a certain romanticism and, and the negative side of that, of course, being romanticization of the Arctic region. So yeah, but it's it's not all bad.
0: <laughs> Perhaps it's anecdotal, and it's not like really research based or anything. But do you yourself, Ingrid, identify with the Arctic? Do you identify yourself as as Arctic?
1: Oh, it's such a difficult question, you know, because I <laughs> because because I've researched this, I have such a self conscious relationship to the term <laughs> Arctic identity now. But I guess, I guess, well, yes. And no, it's, it's like I was saying, you know, we have certain identities in some settings and not in others. So I am from the Arctic region. I am from North of the Arctic circle, and I do identify with that. And I think it does really matter for my approach to certain questions and, and kind of how I see myself and so on. But then there are many ways in which I'm, I'm not Arctic and and I haven't lived there now for some years either. And, um, so. Yes, and no. In some contexts, I am. In, in some contexts, I'm. I'm not. Um, I'd probably more comfortable saying I'm definitely northern.
2: <laughs> I think that's an amazing way to wrap up our conversation. And I would like to thank you so much, Ingrid, for such a lively uh, talk, and for bringing actually the people who are working in the Arctic for the Arctic closer to us with your publications and with your research trying to explain how it works and what we can do that what we with that what we can learn from them that's truly amazing thanks
1: yeah thank you so much for inviting me it's it's always great to speak to others who are interested in topic as well and i think i would say in terms of these arctic representations and and arctic identities as well the work that that you guys do is also really important you know you are engaging with the region and you're you're Allowing new people perhaps to learn something or, or hear things that they wouldn't otherwise. So, so thanks to you guys as well.
0: Thanks to you, Ingrid. And if people want to uh, learn more about your research or find you, do you have uh, social media? Are you on Twitter?
1: Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm quite a big fan of Twitter, actually. So my, my uh, Twitter name is uh, Ingrid Agnete. So that's, uh, that's my middle name. So it's I-N-G-R-I-D, Ingrid. And then Agnete, A-G-N-E-T-E. So you can find me there. Other than that, I've got my my academic uh, profile page, of course, where you can find my, my research articles and so on. But I really love hearing from people. So you know, if this is something that you're interested in, or if you want to try and find some of what I've, I've written, then then just send me an email or contact me on Twitter, and I'm I'm more than happy to try and, and um, uh, well help if I can. But also just I just love chatting about this. So I could continue. I could go on forever. <laughs> Thank you Ingrid. Thank you.